Hello, everybody, and welcome to the third episode of the Empowered Psychology Podcast. My name is Christella, and I am the host and the founder of Empowered Psychology, which is an educational platform and community that gives a voice to those with visible and invisible illnesses with the goal of empowering others to take control of their minds in order to overcome adversity and create their dream lives. Today's episode is part three of my lupus survivor story, and with me to educate us about lupus and my diagnosis is my amazing rheumatologist, Dr. Shalini Jaw. So Dr. Jaw is a rheumatologist and assistant professor at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, Texas. She received her MD from the University of Alabama and went on to Strong Memorial Hospital in Rochester, New York. She did her residency training in internal medicine and pediatrics. She went on to do a rheumatology fellowship at Baylor College of Medicine. Therefore, she is a triple threat and is board certified in internal medicine, pediatrics, and rheumatology. So before we go on and talk about my diagnosis and lupus education, I just want to thank you, Dr. Ja, for just being an amazing doctor. I, I shouldn't have to thank any doctor for doing their job, but unfortunately, we have a very complex medical care system where some doctors seem to not care about their patients, but that has not been the case with you. You have been amazing, and you. you have put me in remission for the second time, and you are honestly one of the reasons why I am so passionate about um, educating people about lupus and other autoimmune diseases in general. So, you know, before we get started, I just want to celebrate real quick with some ginger shots. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, guys, um, you have to take care of yourself with lupus and without. And I really love ginger um, because it's an anti-inflammatory and it has a lot, a lot of benefits that I can't get into right now because we have a lot to talk about. But other than being anti-inflammatory, it just makes me, like, really, really happy. So before we get started, we have to take our ginger shots. So, yes, this is the brand Vibe Organic. Very amazing brand. I love it. You can get it at Whole Foods. And cheers to remission. Cheers. Woo. Okay, let's get started. So in the previous two episodes, I talked about how I got sick in Honduras. And honestly, as you know, this was really fast, I feel like. Um, I would say I was getting sick for about a year, but everything really just sped up starting around like October. From October to February, I mean, mm -hmm. you know, it, it was it was crazy. Mm -hmm. So I was hospitalized in Honduras and my hemoglobin was very low and they actually had to stabilize me before I got to Texas Children's. And I get to Texas Children's, and um, it took about, in total, like 18 days to figure out what, yeah. what was happening. Yeah. And um, on my 17th birthday, February 18th of 2016, I was diagnosed with lupus. Before we get into the specifics, because today we have the facts. So in the <laughs> previous two episodes, I went into kind of my personal story, but luckily today we have Dr. Jaw who can go into detail about all the crazy things that were happening 
in in my body basically but before we get into that i want to educate you guys about lupus with no one other than the expert herself (laughs) so dr job what is lupus Sure. So lupus is an autoimmune disease um, caused by chronic inflammation in the body. Um, It happens for reasons that we don't completely understand. um, But basically, instead of your immune system fighting outside invaders like bacteria or viruses or parasites, your immune system kind of attacks itself. So it gets confused. It kind of finds particles in your body that are kind of breakdown products of your cells, kind of normal things that your body should just clear away. It creates these antibodies and attacks them. And so that leads to inflammation in the skin, in the joints, in the organs, so things like the kidney, the liver, um, the brain, um, the heart, the lungs, like all of these things can become inflamed and it can cause a lot of problems. Um, It can cause a lot of symptoms that are really uncomfortable like fevers, weight loss. Um, It can lead to damage to the organs if it's not treated. Um, So basically it's just this multi-system inflammation all over your body caused by your own immune system. Okay, so now that we know what lupus is, what is the epidemiology of lupus? And for people who don't know what epidemiology means, can you please define that as well? Sure. So epidemiology means like who does it affect, what are the causes, you know, what are the kind of risk factors, overall just the kind of explanation of, you know, the people who are affected and why. And so basically lupus affects women a lot more than men. So like if you had 10 people, nine of the people would be women and one of them would be men who had lupus. So it's a lot less likely to meet a man with lupus than a woman with lupus. Um, And we think that it mostly happens due to hormone reasons, but there's definitely a lot of genetics at play. Um, There's certain environmental reasons it can happen. Um, And it can happen to many different populations. We see it all over the world in different countries. Um, A little bit more likely to happen in places with more UV light exposure, so southern hemisphere, southern um, states of the United States, those places are a little bit more affected. Um, And then into more of the specifics, like they think maybe viruses can potentially trigger it, like people with lupus who have um, newly been diagnosed have higher EBV virus um, DNA, they have like antibodies to EBV virus, and that's a common virus that a lot of people are exposed to when they're kids, but for whatever reason that virus kind of gets triggered again. so we think that might be playing a role and then certain bacteria or your own gut microbiome may be causing that inflammation because we have a whole immune system in our gut um, and that may be playing a role you know sometimes things in the diet can lead to problems too Um, other risk factors we think about are cigarette smoking that's been implicated Um, people who have periods earlier in life so um, girls who get their period you know at less than age 10 maybe have a higher risk of developing lupus Um, They've looked a little bit into birth control pills and hormone replacement that women take um, after menopause, and it seems like a slightly higher risk of developing lupus from those hormones, but doesn't seem like those hormones cause a lupus flare if somebody already has lupus. But, you know, we wonder if the hormones are really playing a role, especially people who get pregnant after pregnancy can be a time that lupus can flare up. During pregnancy can be a time that lupus flares up. 
Other things that have been implicated are like pesticides, silica, obesity, um, UV light definitely is a big trigger. So we tell all our lupus patients to always wear sunscreen because that UV light can affect their DNA and cause inflammation in their body. I know that um, in doing my research about lupus, it is associated with premature death. So my question to you is, one must, one, be diagnosed with lupus and receive treatment or it will result in death? Yeah, I mean, lupus can be really scary. For some people, it can be pretty mild and cause skin rashes, joint pain, fatigue, and it may not lead to organ damage and death mm -hmm. and those kind of serious complications. So some people do live with mild lupus and it takes a long time for them to get diagnosed and get treated and, you know, they may do okay, but they just have kind of poor quality of life. Other people, lupus can be really serious and life-threatening. So when it causes your blood counts to drop, when it causes your kidney to become inflamed, uh, it can lead to the kidneys failing and if the kidneys don't work your body you know can't handle that and so you need things like dialysis and you know that can be really life-threatening and same if there's a lot of fluid around the heart a lot of fluid around the lungs those can be really serious conditions um, so yeah there are times when lupus can be very severe to the point that it needs to be diagnosed and treated right away otherwise it can lead to serious problems can you describe the, the multifaceted nature of lupus yeah absolutely um, so looking at what has been researched, up to 50% of patients can experience neurologic complications, which means like nerve problems like numbness or tingling or inflammation of the brain, um, those kind of problems, headaches. 70% uh, can have constitutional symptoms, things like fevers, night sweats, uh, muscle aches or pains, fatigue, anorexia, meaning they just don't have an appetite at all, or weight loss, and they can have a lot of weight loss, like 10, 15, 20 pounds, sometimes more if it's gone untreated. Um, up to 70% can have skin manifestations. Some can have mucosal manifestations, meaning ulcers in the nose or mouth. 20% mm -hmm. um, can have inflammation around the heart, which can develop something called pericarditis or pericardial effusions or fluid buildup around the space of the heart, which can lead to problems with the heart kind of not being able to kind of squeeze properly, and it can lead to chest pain and serious um, pain and shortness of breath. 40% can have pleural effusions which is like fluid buildup on the bottom of the lungs, um, and that can lead to a lot of chest pain and shortness of breath as well. 30% can have kidney manifestations, so um, lupus nephritis, where you get inflammation of the uh, cells in the kidney, and that can lead to urine um, protein and urine blood, um, and that can be a big problem because that can lead to the kidneys not working anymore. And in children who are developed, who are diagnosed with lupus, the numbers can be even higher, like 50% of uh, uh, children who get lupus can get the kidney problem, so it's even more scary. 50% uh, can have stomach issues, 50% can have blood problems, so low blood counts, low white blood cell counts, low platelets. 85% um, have arthritis or joint pain and joint swelling. 20% can have something called Raynaud's phenomenon where their hands and feet turn like blue or purple when they get cold. That can even lead to um, little ulcers in the fingertips, and that can be quite painful in cold weather. So now that we have a clear picture of how complex this disease is, and uh, I'm sure for you, all your lupus patients are, they look different, right? I'm mm -hmm. sure there's like Definitely. similarities, mm -hmm. but I'm sure they all look different. So how hard is it to diagnose lupus? 
So it can be a challenge because sometimes people have symptoms that slowly build up over time and they go to their doctor, their doctor doesn't quite know what's going on, they get the blood test, everything looks okay. So sometimes it takes a while for that primary care doctor to then refer them to a rheumatologist and for us to try to figure out what's going on. So that can be a barrier um, to getting a diagnosis. The other problem is certainly people manifest with different problems. So some people might have a skin rash, some people might have joint pains, some people might have kidney involvement from the beginning. So everybody looks a little different. So it definitely is a matter of putting all the pieces together, getting all the extra blood work, um, and putting all the information together. We don't have any exact diagnostic criteria. What we have are something called classification criteria, and they have updated those over the years. So that really helps us know which patients for sure have lupus. Um, classification criteria are developed for research purposes. So if we're doing a research project on lupus patients, we want to have a population that definitely has lupus so that when we're studying them, we know that the treatments we're giving them should help or not help. Um, and so as a result, not every lupus this patient meets all of the classification criteria, only the ones with the most severe lupus usually kind of fit every single checkbox there. Um, so some people who are on the early stages of lupus, it can be a little bit harder for us to say for sure because they may not have every single lab test abnormal or every single type of involvement of inflammation that can happen. Um, so it can be a process, but you know, as long as they are referred to us or we're called in the hospital to see those patients, we work hard to kind of get all the information and make sure we come up with the diagnosis. Okay, so how important is timing in diagnosing? Very important because the sooner we can diagnose somebody with lupus, the soonest we can start treatment and we can really help patients understand that what they're going through um, and what treatments will help them and we can get the right specialists involved. So if they have heart problems or they have kidney problems, we can have those specialists help us manage the care as well. Um, and if we don't treat lupus right away, that can lead to things like kidney damage, joint pain and swelling, problems like that that can be really um, difficult to treat if you know left untreated for a long period of time. So really important that we get on top of things right away um, so that we can minimize the chance of any long-term damage to the organs or long-term symptoms for patients. Okay, so now that we have a clear understanding of what lupus is. Um, now we're gonna go into um, what happened to me on a scientific level from your perspective mm -hmm. as a rheumatologist. All right, so looking through all your records, it looks like around January of 2016, you were having a lot of problems with fevers, some joint aches, you lost a bunch of weight, you had some skin rashes, so you were, went to a doctor, you were found to be very pale, and you had had an episode where you had kind of passed out at school, and they found your hemoglobin to be very low, so your blood counts were really low. Um, when you were seen at Texas Children's in early February, they mentioned you having like low-grade fevers, that weight loss, um, the skin rashes had gone at that point, but they saw that you had enlarged lymph nodes everywhere. And lymph nodes, their goal is to really clear out um, infections from your body, but when they're really swollen and 
in all sorts of different parts of your body that's not normal so that makes us worried about things like untreated infections or uh, cancers um, like lymphoma can lead to lymph nodes being swollen all over your body and then rarely lupus can do that as well and so when you went to the hospital the first time um, they did a lymph node biopsy so they took several lymph nodes from your neck area looked at it under a microscope made sure there was no infection made sure there was no cancer um, and there was no cancer there was no infection um, but your symptoms didn't really get better so you came back to the hospital and at that point your chest x-ray was looking worse you had had a little bit of changes on your chest x-ray which they didn't really know what that was and it was looking worse so they treated you for pneumonia because you had a cough at that point you were still having low-grade fevers um, and then at that point you know you still had the low blood counts your blood pressure was up a little bit your kidneys were um, looking a little bit abnormal on the blood work and then the urine test was showing a lot of protein in the urine um, normal urine should have very little protein at all. Um, yours had like three grams of protein that you were spilling. So your kidneys were not able to kind of keep the protein in your body. It was just all going out in the urine. And that can lead to swelling everywhere, which I think you were having, you know, swelling in your legs, your arms, those kind of things. Um, and then basically from there, the other things they did, they made sure there were no infections in your blood, the infectious disease doctors were following along, um, the lung doctors were following along, they did like a bronchoscopy where they went inside with a camera and took a look because you were having some blood in your cough, yeah. and that was really worrisome for could there be inflammation there, could there be um, like bleeding inside the lungs due to um, an immune system problem. You also were having really bad nosebleeds, um, and so the ear, nose, and throat doctors went inside with a camera, they took a look and tried to figure out why you were having inflammation there. And then the kidney doctors were involved. They did a renal biopsy. So it took a small piece of your kidney, looked at it under a microscope, sent it to the lab, and they basically found that you had lupus nephritis, so inflammation in the kidneys um, due to lupus. And meanwhile, the rheumatologists were called. They did all of the blood work um, for lupus, and they put everything together, all the lung inflammation, the kidney inflammation, the blood count problems, um, your, the joint pains, the skin rashes, and um, kind of diagnosed you with lupus based on all those criteria. And then they had also done an ultrasound of your heart that showed a tiny bit of fluid around the heart. So there was definitely involvement there as well. And you had had some swelling or some basically some vision problems like little floaters or like black spots at some point um, and you had had an episode where your vision was lost for a little while in one eye so the eye doctors came and saw you and they thought there was a lot of pressure behind the eyes um, in the brain around the optic nerve and so um, that's something called papilledema and so they recommended a lumbar puncture so you had like a spinal tap where they got fluid um, and looked at that and that looked okay um, but basically they diagnosed you with the papilledema and so that's just another kind of problem that you were dealing with at that time. Um, so you were started on all the treatments for lupus, like high doses of steroids, and then you saw the rheumatologist um, outside of the hospital who took the treatment from there. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, Dr. John, um, that was a lot. I, I was, um, in my previous two videos, I did touch on most of these points, mm -hmm. but um, I forgot. I forgot about I was coughing blood. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that was the night um, I went back to the hospital because, you know, they discharged mm -hmm. me mm -hmm. for about three days. And I was like, oh, no, like something mm -hmm. is wrong. Yeah. I, I don't I didn't feel good yeah. when I would lay down flat. Um, I, I couldn't breathe. I remember that night was just horrible. I thought I was 
going to die. And we know from the facts, um, if I had waited, I would have died. I mean, this was bad. You had very serious lupus, absolutely. Multiple organs involved and fluid around the heart can build up and become like a very big problem. And same with the fluid around the lungs. There was a very tiny bit on one of the images, but, you know, that can build up into a big problem. The kidneys, you know, can get really inflamed. So definitely you had very bad lupus at the onset, for sure. Wow. And another thing, like, I've never talked about is um, for a long time, I didn't think it was lupus. Like, for Mm -hmm. a long time... Even after I was diagnosed and received tri- and received treatment and went into remission, I was kind of like, oh, it's not lupus. It was probably the Zika. It probably mm-hmm. caused this big problem. I was just in denial. Mm-hmm. But now that I am have now that I have educated myself and I have learned more, it, this was lupus. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. this was yeah. lupus, and it was bad. Yeah. So yeah. Um, I specifically had lupus nephritis stage 3. So what, what does that mean exactly? So there's six total stages of lupus. The first two stages are pretty mild, um, and it just has to do with what they see under the microscope. Um, classes 4 and 5, um, three, four, 3 and 4 are kind of... Um, on a spectrum, so three is like less than 50% of your kidney involved, four is like more than 50% of your kidney involved, so a little bit more severe, and then class five is kind of a different pattern, and class six means everything's so scarred over that the kidneys are kind of beyond repair. Um, And so yours was like, in the middle, middle, um, meaning like it was not in the class four where it's like a lot of your kidney involved, but it was to a point where you have to treat because it's rather severe. It wasn't in the class one or two where the treatments don't have to be as aggressive. Yeah, so they caught it, you know, thankfully, and were able to get you on treatment. And the repeat biopsy you had then showed class two. So I think you had the treatment, you know, at the in the nick of time, and you know things really got addressed in a good fashion. Um, and it looks like you know you saw an infectious disease doctor after you got discharged that first time, and they picked up on the fact that you were having kind of worsening cough and um, the blood in the cough, and they were very worried about your chest X-ray and your nose um, being uh, very bloody and discharge and that kind of stuff and so they were the ones who wrote in their note like please consult rheumatology so it's very good that that doctor picked up on things and said you know rheumatology needs to get involved right away because who knows it could have been another couple of days or weeks before rheumatology got called so definitely props to that doctor yeah i i said this in the previous video but these doctors were amazing at texas children's they were determined to find out what Mm -hmm. i had Mm -hmm. and as you know so many doctors were involved in trying to figure this out i remember um, cause when I went to the doctor, to the hospital the second time, they had to do all those tests, mm-hmm. the surgery, mm-hmm. so many blood cultures, mm-hmm. fMRIs, MRIs, x-rays. Yeah. And on my way there, I would run into so many people I didn't even know. Cause mm-hmm. I was so sick. I don't, I didn't even remember who was coming in and right, out. And they're right, like, yeah. Christella, how are you? We're trying yeah. to figure it out. We're going to have a meeting yeah. tomorrow to figure your case out. I mean, it was, yeah. it was it was a lot. Yeah, so, pretty much um, every specialist was involved in your case. For yes. sure. It was a lot for anyone to go through. And I think it took you you know, several weeks to months to really get a diagnosis. So I understand that you wouldn't accept the lupus diagnosis at the first glance. You know, it's, yes. It takes time to accept and to make sure. You know. And also, I wanted to point that in my previous video, I had said, I pointed that out because when they diagnosed me, they're like, we're so glad that we caught it where it is. I'm like, 
what? Like, this is horrible. Like, I almost died. Is this how you catch an illness? But now I understand because um, it was, like you said, perfect timing. And it was in the middle of the storm. And they knocked that that storm out. So, wow. Okay, so now that we've tied in my illness to what lupus is and what happened to me, Uh, This is the golden question, and it's a very important question. Is lupus a treatable illness? Yes, we definitely have good treatment options. Um, It can take us time to kind of get the perfect results, um, and every patient's a little bit different. So sometimes it's a matter of going through the algorithm of different treatment options and kind of tailoring the treatment based on how aggressive people's symptoms are. Um, But absolutely, there are treatments out there, and there's new treatments that have come out in the last couple of years. So I think things are promising. Okay, great, y'all. So we know that lupus is treatable, and that's Mm -hmm. really important for people who have lupus and their advocacy journey to know that there is treatment for lupus. So now um, the important question, so now that we know that it's treatable, how do you manage lupus from a doctor's perspective, you know, with the patient and the doctor? Yeah, so from our standpoint, we make sure that we are looking at your blood work really closely. We look at your blood counts, make sure there's no severe drop in the platelets or the hemoglobin because those can be um, problems that require a little bit stronger treatments. Um, We make sure your kidneys are okay, so kidney involvement can involve stronger treatments. Um, And then other than that, we, you know, look at your symptoms, so skin involvement, joint involvement, um, if there's swelling in your legs, if there's hair falling out, you know, all of those symptoms matter for us to help figure out the right treatments. And so we have kind of several categories of medications. There's the first ones like things like hydroxychloroquine, um, which is in the disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs. And so those are kind of the pill medications that we start with. So if somebody has mild lupus, we start with hydroxychloroquine. That usually helps their joint pain, skin rash get better. And every lupus patient should be on hydroxychloroquine as long as they don't have any side effects or problems from it because it's been shown to kind of help lupus patients live longer, have less flare-ups, less problems. Um, And it's a pretty gentle medicine that doesn't kind of severely suppress the immune system, so it's good in that regard. Um, But then, you know, if there's kidney involvement, we use stronger medications um, like things like mycophenolate, azathioprine, things like um, cyclophosphamide, which is like a chemotherapy medicine we use for kind of more severe cases. And then there's several other medications that have come out like uh, Benlista, Voclosporin. Those are kind of newer treatments for lupus nephritis, the kidney involvement. And then there's other biologics we can use if people are having problems with um, kind of persistent joint swelling and pain. Things like Benlista can help a lot of patients. Um, Cefnello is one of the newer medications out there. And then other medications in that disease-modifying anti-rheumatic drugs like methotrexate, flunamide, those medicines can help patients who have kind of persistent joint pains that haven't gotten better with just the hydroxychloroquine. So we kind of use our you know options and tailor it based on what symptoms patients are having and what their labs look like. And we try to slowly decrease medications over time if people are doing great, um, but we you know ramp up medications as we need to, and steroids are kind of one of the mainstays of therapy, Um, especially early on. If somebody has aggressive disease, we often have to use higher doses of steroids and then decrease the dose over time to really get things better quicker. Wow. So we know that doctors like you are going to work hard 
to give their their patients the treatment that they need. But as we know, it is really important for the patient as well to take care mm-hmm. of themselves. So what is the best way that a lupus patient can take care of themselves outside of treatment? Agreed. Really, really important. So I would say sleep is incredibly important, getting seven to eight hours minimum of sleep, you know, really listening to your body, giving it the rest that it needs, um, trying to make sure you have a good bedtime routine so that you kind of get the best quality of sleep as possible. Um, And then things like diet can play a big role. So eating lots of fruits and vegetables, drinking water, making sure you're eating kind of an unprocessed diet. You know, all these processed foods out there have a lot of additives, a lot of salt, a lot of things that we don't need, extra sugar. Um, So it's really better to kind of eat a really clean diet, lots of fruits, vegetables, grains, beans, um, things that we know are kind of nourishing and give your body all the antioxidants that they need without causing problems like inflammation. Um, We're still learning what the kind of best diet is, but it seems like things like red meat and dairy could potentially be triggers. Um, Some patients feel better when they take those out of their diet. So, you know, it's a little bit of figuring out what works for you, but optimizing your diet as much as possible and getting those good, healthy nutrients. Um, Other than that, uh, stress reduction, really working on managing anxiety, depression, um, kind of relaxation techniques, doing things like yoga or tai chi, breathing exercises, really minimizing your stress can help play a role because people who are in high stress can have a flare-up just due to everything going on in their life so important to manage that aspect as well when we said as we talked about before sunscreens another really important thing that patients can do um, especially if they're in somewhere with lots of sun exposure like the beach absolutely you want to be wearing a big hat sunscreen long sleeves you know protecting your skin from prolonged sun exposure vitamin d is a supplement that's been shown to kind of help lupus patients so we check your vitamin d levels every now and then and make sure you're taking over-the-counter supplements wow awesome so now guys we are well equipped and on our way to greatness. Uh, so um, I really want to hit on this point, um, quality of life. So how does lupus affect one's quality of life? Yeah, so I think first thing is accepting the diagnosis and learning that it's a chronic disease. It's not like an infection where we can give a treatment like antibiotics and it goes away and never comes back. It's oftentimes an immune system problem that stays with you long term that can flare up in times of stress, in times of illness, in times of randomness. And so it's important to know that it's there with you, and, but it's, we have good treatment options, so you gotta pay attention to your body and you know tell us if things are not going well so that we can kind of help guide you back to remission and, and to a low disease state. Um, you know, people can have a lot of joint pain, um, and that can lead to a lot of trouble doing daily things like getting dressed, um, you know, cleaning dishes, like doing basic things that you take for granted, you know. So it's really helpful for us to try treatments that can help calm down the joints and get things better there. Some people have really bad skin involvement, so that can affect their self-confidence, that can affect their, you know, overall image of themselves so you know it's helpful for us to really get the skin under control too so that people you know feel like their best beautiful self and the hair can also get involved which you know is also really troublesome and you know some patients uh, have a lot of hair loss from it and it can take a long time for that to come back or it may not completely come back so that's something all the all the patients have to learn to deal with and find ways to kind of get better wow so it affects everything Mm -hmm. and also in some of my research i found that some people even 
lose like their livelihood they're they're not able Mm -hmm. to work because it has negative effects on productivity and personal development Mm -hmm. right so patients who are having a flare-up they can have a lot of joint pain they can have leg swelling they can have fatigue they can have trouble doing their job because of all of those reasons um, and more and so that can definitely lead to problems staying employed um, finding a job that allows them to do what they're able to handle Um, and so definitely we encounter patients who are not able to keep a job for that reason and that can be really tricky Um, and you know taking care of children can also be very hard when you're not feeling well yourself so that can also be hard on a lot of patients wow so like the good news is is that this is not the last time I'm going to talk about lupus. There's so much to talk about. So Mm -hmm. we're going to hit on a lot of health disparities Mm -hmm. in later videos. But last but not least, what are the steps that we can take in lupus prevention and finding a cure? Um, You know, I think more and more research needs to be done to fully understand how we can help prevent it. I think people who have a family history should definitely pay attention to their symptoms, you know, go to their doctor regularly, get checkups, um, because we know that if somebody has a family member with lupus, they're at a higher risk, so it's helpful to just watch your symptoms. Really managing your weight, managing um, your overall health, avoiding cigarette smoking, um, all of those things can potentially help wearing sunscreen screen when you're outside Um, and then you know in terms of research you know I hope that we see more and more money go into that and how to kind of better treat patients with lupus as well as how to prevent it awesome so with every guest I have I like to kind of highlight something special about them and I just want to say Dr. John like you are a genius and I and I know and I know you're a genius because you worked under my amazing well you trained under her right Dr. Ramirez who Mm -hmm. is a a genius I mean you know (laughs) that Um, so you are a genius and I never saw medicine as a talent or a craft but it really is especially being a rheumatologist because when you're a rheumatologist you see so many different patients and as we know these illnesses mimic other illnesses Mm -hmm. so um, my illness happened to look like cancer then it happened to look like an infectious Mm -hmm. disease it happened to look like AIDS and then they had to rule out everything Mm -hmm. so you have to be very smart and luckily um Texas Children's and Baylor has the best doctors ever who (laughs) are very just talented and passionate about what they do. So I just want to thank you for that and thank you for being here to help me share my story and being a part of my second time getting in remission. And this is going to be forever. Hopefully, because yes. <laughs> uh, if I have you, I'm gonna oh. I'm gonna be in remission forever. Because I know you will not <laughs> let me fall, and also I'm not gonna let myself fall. That's right. But That's um, <laughs> yes, so I'm just really grateful, and I hope that everyone can have a rheumatologist like you. And hopefully, with educating people about lupus, we can help people find the right professionals. Um, and talk about health disparities so that they can optimize their health and live their best lives. Mm -hmm. So, guys, that is it for this episode 
of Empowered Psychology. I want to thank you guys so much for tuning in and watching my podcast. Um, I hope that this empowered the lupus survivors and warriors out there by quick equipping them with the knowledge they need to start to take matters into their own hands and taking control of their health. And also for those who don't have lupus and are watching this, thank you. Because by you educating yourself about lupus, you have now become part of the mission to find a cure and end lupus. And again, thank you, Dr. Ja, for being an amazing rheumatologist and being here today to educate us. All my social media links will be listed down below. And I will see you guys in the next one. Bye.